Out of the gates and ready to go. Hot fight with Honey Withrow underway on this Wednesday. Glad you're with us. We've got Clay Travis, who will be joining us in about five minutes from right now. Cynthia Freeland from NFL Network also coming up on today's show. Chad, good to see you again. Hun, we are only one day away from our weekend. We've almost It begins it. on Thursday. Begins on Thursday on this show. We're one day away from the weekend. How, how does that long, make you feel? Uh, you always ask me how I'm doing. Energized. i got to ask you how you're feeling about yeah, that. Yeah, ready good? to go. Yeah, rain instead of snow, it's fine. It's not a blizzard here anymore. I, I need this weather to change, though. This is I, I just need something normal. We, we go from five degrees and ice and snow in know, Nashville to, to torrential downpours in 60. <laughs> I just like a nice 39-degree calm day in late January. I'll take 75. 70. Yeah, but just normal January conditions, low 40s, maybe dipping down to the 30s at night. You know, just normal stuff. What's not normal is all of the contracts that are being handed out now through streaming services. How about the $5 billion deal rights agreement for Netflix with WWE's Monday Night Raw signed through TKO, Ari Emanuel, and Endeavor. Uh, They add Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, to their board of directors on top of this. And their marquee program, which has not been off of linear television since 1993, is headed exclusively to Netflix starting in January of 2025. They're moving SmackDown over to USA Network. They have NXT moving to uh, another network as well. Moving around the programs, and this is a a big moment for how we view programs and TV and where Netflix is going as well. Chad, what are we in for? Well, we're in a moment, that's for sure. A 10-year, $5 billion deal. Also, all the documentaries that WWE produces will move to Netflix. WrestleMania, other special events will move to Netflix overseas. WrestleMania events can be seen in in Netflix in in different countries. It's a big-time business deal that went down. Obviously, billions of dollars that play with WWE and Netflix. Netflix is coming, y'all. It's happening. They're not going anywhere. I think we knew that before. But revenues, going back to 2013, $4.4 billion. 2018, $15.8 billion. And 2023, $33.7 billion. The bottom line is this. Now that tech companies and Netflix and streaming services are going to get into this game, the cable companies, the, ne- the, the networks out there, those providers, they're not going to compete at the same level for live sports. Why do we go to cable television right now or traditional TV? We go for news, and we go for live sports. Well, if the live sports go away, and Netflix is now in the game, Apple TV in the game, Prime Video, we know this was Thursday night NFL football, in the game. Others are going to jump in. If they start outbidding everyone else, Netflix included, then why we go to normal television is going to also completely evaporate. Let me tell you why this pisses me off, okay? And there's a reason for it. It's not because I hate Netflix. I love Netflix. It's an easy go to it. You can surf around, find something to watch. But one of the reasons I like watching sports on television is the ability to watch multiple sports on television. And you cannot do that in any great way right now on streaming. So if Netflix gets the Big Ten package at some point, let's say, on a Saturday, and they've got one game on at a time, It is still very difficult to go from one streaming service to another. It's still very difficult to go from one thing to the next 
and do it in a way that's easy. This does not help the fan. Now, if someone wants to show me where all this extra money the NFL is going to get, WWE is going to get, NBA is going to get, everyone else from streaming services is going to actually help the product on the field or on the court or on the ice, I'm all ears. I'm willing to hear that. I understand the old mantra of, hey, give it more money. You pump money into anything, it's going to get better. And oftentimes that can be true. Is all this Netflix money or Apple money or Prime Video money going to help officiating? Are going to pay more for that? Is just throwing more money at officiating problems? Is that going to solve it in the NFL or college football? I don't know that it is. Offensive problems in the NFL this year. Is throwing more money at the NFL? Is that going to help the, the issues there? I, my point is this. I watched football on NBC back in 1994 when they had the old AFC package. I'd watch New York Jets games in the afternoon. And when I did that, I really enjoyed it. I had no issues with it. And when I watch games now, I watch and I think, I, I enjoy this. I like watching football because I can go to different games at once. Take everything to streaming. There is a cost there to the consumer and to the fan. But as we know, Hutton, these leagues don't really care about the fan. They care about the highest bidder. And Apple and Amazon money and Netflix money, as I just laid out those rev- the revenue since 2013, no one's going to compete with their money. Well, and the, the, who cares about the fan? The networks. That's why they're ponying up and paying this. And Netflix presumes they're going to make upwards of $200 million in revenue just off of ads through Raw. Clay Travis joins us, founder of OutKick, our president. And uh, you can check him with uh, Clay and Buck as well, uh, as well as OutKick, the show right here at OutKick.com. Clay, uh, good to hear from you, man. What do you make of the, uh, the Netflix uh, announcement with uh, TKO and WWE for the $5 billion agreement moving forward? Well, I think it's a huge win for Nick Khan and the WWE um, and the, the new entity that in, involves the UFC and the WWE, the TKO Enterprises or whatever that uh, official name of that company is. Um, and I think it's emblematic of where we're headed uh, in the future, which is I think everything's going to stream. Um, if you look today, and I talked about this earlier this morning, so I'm not sure exactly where the stock price finished, but Netflix, uh, from a market cap perspective, Netflix gained more today, earlier this morning when I was looking at stock prices, than Fox and Paramount combined are worth total. So, I mean, again, I understand a lot of people don't really pay a lot of attention to size of companies and everything else. Just today, in the stock market, Netflix gained more than all of Paramount, which owns CBS, and all of Fox, which obviously owns Fox, is worth on the open marketplace. That's pretty crazy. And I think Netflix is now worth you know $560 billion as a company or something like that. Um, Paramount's worth 10 Fox is worth $14. Uh, the parent company of HBO and also of uh, CNN and Warner Brothers, TNT, Turner, uh, all of that is worth, I think, $24 billion. So it's just a different scale. And Amazon, Apple, and uh, Google, as well as Netflix, are all now in the live sports business to a different degree. And if they want to own all the rights, they will because they just have the size and scale 
to be able to pay way more than those other companies do, the traditional broadcast networks. And Clay, think about it from, and I know you have, from the perspective of the college football playoff, which those rights will be up soon uh, for the expansion after two years. Knowing that the NFL has the billions upon billions that are locked up with the networks, do the streaming services go after the college football playoff and own that? I don't know. Um, I mean, it's an interesting question. I mean, that's not a great deal of tonnage, by which I mean what there would be 13 or 11, whatever the math is, total in a, a college football playoff games. Um, I think at some point everything is going to end up on the streaming services, so I think it's just a matter of when, not if. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if some of these streaming services also bought the uh, overall uh, networks, whether it's CBS, Fox, NBC, ABC, um, or their parent corporations. Um, so I think there's a lot of different movements that are going to start to happen in the media space. Um, and Netflix is, this is important for people out there who don't you know, pay a lot of attention to business. Netflix is the only company that has made money off of streaming so far. So Disney, for instance, has lost $11 billion, 11 with a, you know, a billion with a B. So they have to make back $11 billion and a dollar before they make a dollar. Um, that's not a great business model so far. And certainly Paramount and Peacock and all of these other entities are, uh, are not doing well in that space either. Clay, just a fan question here, consumer question, not the big business end of this, but for Joe Consumer out there that wants to watch sports on a Saturday or Sunday, and I, I think you're, you're right. That we're going to flip this around where now these big tech companies are going to control media in this way. So what we think of with cable TV or old package is going to be this. Are you confident they're going to create something that's as easy to navigate right now as someone that's got Comcast or DirecTV or whatever it may be, where you're not constantly worried about Wi-Fi issues, where it's easy to go into one catch-all app and catch everything live and go back and forth between games? Because right now, how difficult it would be to navigate multiple games across multiple streaming platforms, that's what has me a little bit concerned about the fan experience. No, I think it's going to be worse for fans. And I think it's going to cost more and be worse. And that's because cable and satellite, and I've said this for a long time, was actually a good financial deal for your average sports fan because sports fans weren't having to front the majority of the cost. Most people don't watch sports um, on a daily basis. They're not sitting around in front of ESPN or FS1 or whatever it is watching college basketball every night or watching uh, NFL or whatever the, the, the sport is. Um, and so I think indisputably it's going to be much worse probably for the average sports fan and much more expensive uh, in the future. Um, and that seems inevitable to me. And my, my follow-up to that is, and I, I got into this a little bit, if, if the trade-off is, okay, they don't care about the fan, right? The, 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 who cares about the fans or eyeballs with a network? But the leagues don't care because they're going to make it more difficult on the fan to get their product while taking the check that's going to be bigger from some tech company. If we go with the old adage that if you pump money into something, it can make it better, and if you throw more money at it, it's going to make the product better, are you buying that the added money to the NFL or the SEC, Big Ten, NBA, whatever it may be, is going to produce a better product? Is it going to produce better officiating, better coaching, better play, because they're pumping more money into it? 
I've been arguing for a long time that officials should make way more money. Um, I think one reason why officiating is mediocre is because most people who make good salaries would never be interested in being an official. Um, and I think you get what you pay for. I, I think if officials got paid a million dollars a year, I think you'd get way better officiating. I think way more people would be interested in going into it. Um, and again, it's a drop in the bucket compared to overall NFL or college basketball or college football revenue. Um, you know, basic rules of economics are the more you pay, the more talented the people are who are willing to do a job, right? There are a lot of people out there listening to us right now who would never consider being a plumber. But if they found out that plumbers made $500,000 a year, they'd be like, man, you know what? Plumbing looks like an interesting career path to go into. Uh, so I think you get a lot of uh, not particularly talented officials because there are not a lot of people who are doctors, lawyers, or engineers that are sitting around saying, hey, you know, I was uh, going to go into, uh, into radiology, but then I saw that NFL officials make a million dollars a year, and I was like, heck, this is amazing. I'm going to start working to be better at this. So um, I think in general, uh, the overall quality of any profession is improved because the talent is better based on the money that's paid. I think that you know, NFL quarterbacks, there's way more of an incentive to be good as an NFL quarterback when they make $50 million a year than there would be if they made $50,000 a year. Uh, people work harder. They pursue the passion more. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's, not, it's a cliche, but it's true. A lot of uh, guys who had trouble getting girls decided they wanted to learn how to play the guitar or learn how to play the drums. And, uh, and as a result, girls follow, right? Uh, I mean, I did a rant the other day, you may have seen it, that if pretty girls didn't exist, we would all still live in caves. Um, and I think that's 100% true. Basically, everything a heterosexual man does is to try to get a prettier, prettier girl to like him. Are you saying that my piano lessons had, did, did no, uh, had no effect on anything growing up? I, I don't know <laughs> if anyone else had to do piano. That was my requirement. Well, I mean, I think when you make choices before you hit puberty, um, you know, they're pure. <laughs> I think once you hit puberty, uh, there's not a boy uh, on the planet um, that is uh, that is not looking over his shoulder to check and see what girls are doing um, and how well they're responding to uh, uh, to the choices that he's making. Well, even in, in Hutton's example, it's still a pretty woman making the decision. It's just a mom. It's the, the boy's oh, mom point. that's making the decision to go to piano lessons uh, for them. So yeah. still leading yeah, down got, the right my, path. My wife. My wife has our youngest learning piano uh, as uh, as we speak. I think he's legitimately at piano lessons. So uh, that is mom's decision, not dad's, as it's, most choices inside of the house are. It's the only thing my dad allowed me to quit in my life. Was like, you know what? Piano. If you no, want to really stop funny. piano, it, it's fine. Um, Sports Illustrated seems like they're stopping right now, Clay. what What is the value of the Sports Illustrated brand right now if that brand was in the right hands? Well, I, I mean, I think there are a lot of questions associated with that. So it's a mess because they have a licensing deal that they've done, and then they may have sliced and diced the licensing product of SI up in general. And what they've basically done is SI is a 70-year-old brand. Anybody watching or listening to us right now has very strong and powerful nostalgic connection to, because you can remember getting to go walk down to your mailbox if you were an SI subscriber, as I was, and you were super excited to see who was going to be on the cover and what articles might be in that magazine. Um, and they got destroyed by the internet. 
because they mishandled and misaligned their uh, their brand for a new paradigm, this paradigm shift to online sports writing. Um, and so I think there's probably still a value associated with it. Um, I, you know, I'd have to look at what the finances are, how many people do they employ, what sort of, you know, in, in terms of trying to assess whether it's still a good business model and whether it can be salvaged. But I think it's fair to say over the last decade, I would say 75 to 80 percent of the value, at least, of SI has been obliterated by the choices that they've made. Clay, I, uh, I opened the show earlier by saying that we, the Chiefs are already playing the villain role this year. They took down the Bills. We saw how that went down. Taylor Swift is becoming tiresome, you know, it, not becoming, is with all the cutaways. But I said the role of supervillain, we haven't seen anything yet if they win against Baltimore because the Super Bowl and uh, just the, the broadcast on CBS, the NFL, they've been praying to have Taylor Swift play the halftime show. And, you know, like Garth Brooks, sometimes God answers uh, unanswered prayers or whatever. Uh, greatest gift is unanswered prayers. They, they're going to have her for the entire game leading up to it. Yeah. I, I said they'll probably have the first interview. Gail King will sit down with Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey for an exclusive that will air two hours before kickoff. They'll cut away from Usher to see her reaction at halftime. And who knows, maybe he proposes after the game and it's all wrapped up in a nice uh, bow that way for Kelsey to retire. I, 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 this is the, and, and then I said, and watch Detroit be in this game. They have the lead, small lead at halftime. Everyone's like, this, this underdog story is going to happen, and then Mahomes leads the comeback, and they still get the trophy anyway. Is that the ultimate villain role that they could play? Yeah, look, I mean, everybody has an opinion on Patrick Mahomes. Now everybody has an opinion on Travis Kelsey. And I would have 50 million people watch the Bills Chiefs game on yeah. Sunday night. I think it's the most watched game in like 40 years in the NFL playoffs, maybe ever, um, depending on how you quantify and classify it from a PR perspective. Yeah. In the divisional round, um, it is, yes. Yeah, the NFL is firing on all cylinders. And the best way to grow the NFL brand is to bring in new eyeballs. And uh, yeah, look, I mean, I think if the NFL had their had their choice, they would say we want the Chiefs and probably the Lions uh, would be my guess. That's probably the best story. Uh, you'd also mention Taylor Swift. Don't forget, you'd also have Eminem. So uh, that's right. Have, yeah, like, that's a great point. The Taylor Swift versus Eminem off the field aspect. And I always say, and it's and it's very important, I think, for people to uh, to think about and recognize. Just about everybody who's uh, watching, listening to us right now is going to watch the AFC and the NFC championship games on Sunday. And let's say there is 55 or 60 million people watching those games, whatever that math's going to be. The audience is going to double for the Super Bowl. So as crazy as that is, half, you know, think about there are 50 or 60 million people that don't care enough to watch the semifinals that will suddenly show up and watch the Super Bowl. Uh, and that is a sign of how iconic the, the Super Bowl is. And the data reflects, do you know when the audience peaks for the Super Bowl every year? Halftime show. Halftime. Every time. That's right. Every year, halftime show has the biggest possible audience. And I think it's crazy, like you guys probably do as well, who are the people that watch the Super Bowl up to halftime or come in to watch the halftime show and then turn it off? There are millions of people who do that every year. That's what the data reflects. And that's because they come for the show, not the game, but the spectacle and the show. And so anything that the NFL can do to increase the spectacle in the show uh, is going to create 
a bigger audience. And so I'm sure Roger Goodell and company would be ecstatic if they got the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift, and the Lions, along with Jared Goff and uh, Dan Campbell and Eminem. That's what they would hope for, I would think. But I think they're in a good spot no matter what, because if they didn't get either of those teams, if they got the Ravens and they got the 49ers, they still get an East Coast team against a West Coast team from Las Vegas, and the math is still going to be very good for them, maybe just not as high. Well, and maybe they carry over some of the the eyeballs from halftime based on the fact that they're going to cut away to Taylor Swift and you have the post-game thing, too, to see the reaction with Kelsey. I mean, she never comes out of the suite, but she will for the Super Bowl with all the security down there. Yeah, and also, I mean, yeah, that's a good point. And then also whether the game's close or not, right? Um, that's right. the thing that obviously nobody can particularly control. Um, but if the game is close, if it goes into the fourth quarter, even more people will be uh, will be showing up. And, you know, I mean, over 100 million people are going to watch the Super Bowl. I think, what was it, last year, Fox set an all-time high for Super Bowl viewership, if yes. I'm not mistaken. Right. I think that's true. Um, I would expect there's a good chance that this year – uh, CBS will set the new all-time high, and then next year Fox has the Super Bowl again. Um, and I just think the NFL is firing on all cylinders right now, um, and uh, and cutting through the noise and producing audiences the likes of which we've truly never seen in the history of television before. Clay, headline right now at Outkick.com: Executive cowardice responsible for endless ESPN on ESPN crime. Story from Bobby Barack. A really interesting read. My, my question is, what, what are the executives at ESPN so frightened of when they just allow people to just take enormous shots at other ESPN employees? As long as they're calling someone a racist or a bigot, then I guess it's okay? I think you got white guys in charge of ESPN um, that are terrified of being targets themselves. And so they just pretend none of this is going on. And look, the, the, the bigger issue that's at play here, and this is not just an ESPN issue, uh, this is a society-wide issue, is you have lots of people in positions of prominence being paid millions and millions of dollars. Let's use Bob Iger as an example. Last year, Bob Iger, CEO of Disney, made $36.1 million. Disney stock is at a 10-year low. He is not making decisions that are in the best interest of Disney. That's quite clear. Bob Iger is making decisions that are in the best interest of Bob Iger remaining the CEO of Disney. And that is emblematic, I think, of what's going on at massive amounts of companies uh, all nationwide. The CEOs are just trying to avoid becoming targets themselves so that they can continue to bank the salary that they make. And they're doing what's in the best interest of their continued employment not what's in the best interest of the companies that they are the stewards of. Um, and I think that's going on everywhere. And I think, uh, you know, the, the only, what's the only way that Jimmy Pitaro could lose his job at CNN, uh, at CNN, at, ES, at ESPN? Um, he could, you know, do something involving, uh, you know, inappropriate moral behavior, right? Which is evidently what happened with John Skipper. Uh, or he, and that's, by the way, him doing something that is actually active. But in terms of being in the CEO role, the only way he loses his job is if somehow somebody decides that he's racist. Um, and uh, how do you get uh, accused of being racist? Well, you're a white guy who tells a black guy that they're doing something inappropriate at the network. Um, and so they just put their heads down and pretend it doesn't happen. Jim Harbaugh going to get the uh, just the blank check with the Chargers or 
do you think he's actually playing all these sides to actually consider going back to Michigan? I don't know what's going on. I don't either. All of these multiple interviews and everything else, like even the idea that Bill Belichick interviewed twice with the Atlanta Falcons, like what does Bill Belichick need to interview for? I mean, are people not familiar with the last 20 plus years of his work? Um, you know, Bill Belichick's resume is pretty clear. Uh, I mean, you know, if, if, if I'm making a movie, uh, I don't bring in Denzel Washington <laughs> and say, okay, let me, can you read this script for me? Like his record's pretty established, right? If you're Denzel Washington, um, you know, you just kind of say, hey, the last 25 or 30 years of my work is my resume. I think the same thing is true of Bill Belichick. I think it's true of uh, Jim Harbaugh. I understand for guys who have never been head coaches before, like Callahan, I understand, hey, I want to have him come in and I want to see how his, uh, what his ideas might be, how, whether he's ready, we think, to be a head coach. Uh, has he you know, put in the work and preparation and everything else that's associated with it? I can nod my head along and say, okay, that makes logical sense to me for a guy that's never been a head coach before. But once you've done the job, right? Like if I were interviewed, if ESPN was like, hey, we've got our head on straight now and uh, we want to do a version of OutKick and my contracts are up, I can see like, hey, let's meet Clay. We'll uh, kind of talk to him. Like they know what I do, right? So the idea of, oh, this is what I do. Like at some point, if you're interviewing for a job that you've already done, like I wouldn't interview for a radio job at ESPN. Like, well, tell us what you think the radio show should be. Well, look at the last 20 years of radio right. that I've done. That's what I would do, right? I didn't interview to take over the Clay and Buck show. It's like I do the job already. If you already do the job, and by the way, in the case of Jim Harbaugh, you've already done the job at the NFL level too. I don't understand the whole interview process. I understand, hey, let's go out for dinner and we'll meet and we'll see whether we like you or not um, and whether we think you might be a cultural fit. But the idea that you have to go multiple times and, and do an interview, that doesn't make sense to me at all. It but, seems very strange. You're right. There is a little bit of asking Tom Cruise to read for a role or Denzel Washington oh, but, all this. But I also asking to read, think, but also they're turning to like the, the, the third uh, supporting actor. No offense to Bobby Slowick, but if I'm going after Bill Belichick, I'm not also trying – in a second interview, I'm not trying to interview Bobby Slowick. I, I think, Clay, it kind of goes back to what the discussion we just had about ESPN executives. And it's, it's almost – in today's world – in this bizarro world, it's almost more important just to get along with people than it is to win in certain spots. I think about that with Mike Vrabel uh, with the yeah, Titans. I don't think he's out, out in Nashville because he didn't win or they didn't like the, his job performance. I think he was a prick to people, and they didn't like that. And they said so long, and they got some guy who's going to be a yes man to them uh, to be the next coach. I, I think that's what's going on with Harbaugh and Belichick. It's a bunch of people meeting with them, making sure they're nice enough for them to get along with everyone in the organization. Well, look, the reality is if you're not a billionaire, you work for a billionaire. Um, and, uh, and that is the truth, whether you work in media, um, for the most part, or whether you work in the NFL, uh, whether you're, even if you're a really talented quarterback, like, you know, Patrick Mahomes, he works for someone. Um, and unless you are the billionaire, um, stroking the checks, then on some level you're disposable. And I think that's important for everybody out there to, uh, to recognize. If, if, if you're not the boss, then somebody else can decide that they don't want you working at the company anymore. Um, and uh, you may be right about that. It may be that uh, certainly the, the owners of NFL franchises have egos. Um, and, uh, and Arthur Blank, 
who founded Home Depot and is worth billions of dollars, uh, may well uh, want somebody who is going to acquiesce to to him on some level. Uh, and uh, but again, if I'm Bill Belichick, I'm like, I don't I'm, I, you know, I don't interview. I, I, I mean, if Bill Belichick was like, hey, if you need to know whether I'm a good fit for your franchise or not, that's fine. But I'll show up and I'll shake hands and like I'm happy to meet the uh, happy to meet the owners and everything else. But my resume speaks for itself. Again, I'd go back to uh, the, the, your Tom Cruise or my Denzel Washington analogy. If you don't know whether Denzel Washington or Tom Cruise can be the star of your movie, then I would submit you haven't been watching movies for the last 35 years. And if you don't know whether Bill Belichick is talented enough to be the head coach of your team, uh, then I would submit to you that you haven't been uh, paying attention to the last 25 years of football. Now, if you want to argue, unless you have a great quarterback, Belichick's not a great coach. I mean, I think that's an interesting component to this. But the idea that the Atlanta Falcons uh, in some way are going to interview Bill Belichick multiple times, like I have no idea what that interview process would be like. Well, the, the guy's fun- a genius when it comes to X's and O's. Like, what questions are they possibly asking? I don't. I, I think Belichick's doing the interview, is what I think. And by the way, the interview, the first meeting took place on Arthur Blank's yacht uh, on the in the Virgin yeah. Islands. So I would interview if I were Belichick. I'd interview if Arthur uh, Arthur Blank wanted to interview me there too. It's a beautiful place. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I mean, I'd interview to run the Sewanee, Georgia Home Depot with Arthur Blank if the interview <laughs> took place on his damn yacht. Lawn and garden. I'd go in for any job. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I, I'd run the grill department of that Sewanee, Georgia yeah. Home Depot if the interview took place on the yacht. In the sweat box that is the straw wagon. Just get me I'll on back. the get me on the yacht. Clay, uh, thanks for the time, man. Always good to catch up. All right, appreciate y'all. See ya. Yeah, Thanks, check Clay. out Outkick the Show with Clay Travis uh, daily uh, here at Outkick.com. Coming up, Cynthia Freeland will join us from NFL Network. That's straight ahead on Hot Mike. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Eha Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us for Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow here at Hutton. Cheers. Cheers. Yes. We're the same cup today. Yep. Well done. Yeehaw cup. Well done. Yeah. Well done. Also, uh, it's a well, cheers to uh, a toast to Cynthia Freeland, who joins us. Uh, always love when we have the chance to catch up with Cynthia. Uh, go behind the, the numbers a bit with what we're seeing across the NFL, NFL Network. Good to see you. Hope things are well. Great to see you. Hope things are great with you as well. New coach, new lots of new things for you yeah, guys out there. Yeah, Callahan and uh, efficiency with what they've done in Cincinnati. Hopefully they can pre- protect the passer here uh, uh, for uh, Will Levis. Uh, how was Detroit? It was surreal. Um, being from there and surviving through the years of oh, Lions yeah. not being great was really special to see the Midwesterners just come out in full force and really be just very special. I mean, to, for example, we were in a bar for game day morning hosting our show and whenever a Bucks fan would walk in at first, the Lions fans would boo. And then they'd be like, just kidding. Want a beer? 
which is like so <laughs> amazing in Midwest. They'd be like, boo. Okay. You want a beer? That's the best. <laughs> you know, really we'll, we'll be in Vegas for the Super Bowl, like, like we are every year, getting ready for the game. And Cynthia, there's just something about it now. While this run has been great and magical, and I love seeing the 89-year-old guy that's had season tickets for 66 years getting all yep. excited during the game, yep. there's going to be something that feels missing if the Lions aren't a part of that two-week buildup uh, for that game. So I feel like now, while I've been enjoying this ride like everyone else because it's a team that hasn't done a lot, I feel like the rug's about to be pulled out from under everyone, and we're not going to get a chance to talk about this Lions team for two weeks. I mean, listen, anything's possible. The math is certainly not on their side. But I will say that perhaps seven points is a little too much. I think more like five. Um, there are some flaws that the Packers exposed and some ways that the Lions could target the Niners to keep it close. I think this is going to be an exciting game, tons of points. But, you know, look, I, my heart is with the Lions and I'm going to pick the Lions because sometimes even the analytics people say, hey, I got to take the lower probability outcome. Just ask Philadelphia, that Philly special. That was not the highest probability play in that, but it worked. So, you know, while I... It's it's not the most likely outcome. It's certainly not impossible. I know you do. You run all of the the numbers. What a million times? Uh, and you, yeah, oh you, yeah, a million times for each game. It's a little. It's a little much. Okay. But. Well, I mean, just based on <laughs> are, are the are your rankings virtually the same as they were uh, last week or uh, two weeks ago? Given that the teams that were at the top are pretty much there, Buffalo's knocked out by Kansas City, but San Francisco remains at, at the top. Is that still the case this week? It is. It's very interesting because like people, people forget. So when you put out the numbers, the highest number right now to win the Super Bowl is of course the Niners. Well, and then it looks a lot closer between the Ravens and the Chiefs. And then of course at number four is the Lions, but the AFC will be favored in the Super Bowl for me. It's just that those two have to play each other still. So if you look, if you add up the number together, it's more than 50%, which would imply that the AFC is going to be favored. Lamar Jackson uh, and and company favored uh, with with Munkin without Greg Roman. What are some factors that you have pieced together that you can go into the numbers with for Cynthia and and you can specifically point to and say this is where Lamar Jackson's taking his game to another level and this is where the offense is picking up and of course uh, paired with a unbelievable defense this year. Well, the intermediate pass for Lamar Jackson has been the bread and butter of this team. Not only does he have his highest completion percentage from inside the pocket so far as a pro, this is his best season there, but he's also doing it by also being himself in the run game. This stat blew my mind. When Lamar Jackson, since 2019, has had 3.1 or more seconds before throwing a time to throw, he's 18 and two. That's wild. No other quarterback is better than 50%. Like, and it's not even close. So the, the reality is, is they're buying him more time. But the fact that he's improved at passing from the pocket has actually improved his run game as well. So it's just pretty incredible to see how the two ways of working together, meaning adding Zay Flowers and Odell Beckham Jr., so stretching the field a bit more, even without Mark Andrews, who obviously is Lamar Jackson's favorite target over a longer horizon, that has been a big difference maker. So I'm I'm impressed with all of the different options that they're giving him and his ability to recognize them and take them. And maybe uh, Mark Andrews has a chance to come back this week. Uh, he was right. close last week. At Ravens defense, they lead the league in points allowed, sacks, takeaways. 
first defense in league history to lead in every one of those categories. And you mentioned time to throw in the pocket for Lamar Jackson. How about Patrick Mahomes? Just comparing the time between him and Josh Allen, that was significant. What do you, what do the Ravens normally allow? Well, the Ravens are doing their damage without blitzing. And obviously, you know, we can't blitz Patrick Mahomes because that's how teams get into a ton of trouble. Mm-hmm. If you look at those 60 sacks that the Ravens had, they're their, you know, their league lead in sacks. And you look at what percentage of them, so 44, were done only rushing four. That doesn't usually happen. I mean, more than two, slightly better than two thirds of his, of their pass rushes have been just absolutely crushing without even bringing an extra rusher. That makes things all the more difficult for any sort of pass to be defended. Now, Geno Stone, we already know the linebackers are great, especially in coverage. But Geno Stone, I looked this up because I was very interested to see about Travis Kelsey versus Geno Stone. And if you're looking to see what he's done against tight ends specifically this season, was targeted 15 times with a tight end, and he allowed eight receptions for 40 for a whopping 40 yards and two interceptions. So he basically nullifies your tight end play, which is a really big problem when you've got Travis Kelsey and also the number of plays that they use 12 or even 13, like just tons of tight ends in this formation. Andy Reid's going to have to go to his bag of tricks and come up with more plays that look very much like something we don't necessarily know and figure out a way to trick the defense because they're going to bring simulated pressures we know they're going to, they, they might blitz a little bit here and there strategically, but it's going to be tough, especially in the spine of that defense. Uh, a team not afraid to throw some trick plays into the playbook, the, the Kansas Love city chiefs. Play. And, <laughs> and they, they needed a lot of them this year, Cynthia. A lot's been made about the offense and their struggles compared to their lofty standards of the past. Maybe not enough made about this Kansas City defense, though, and the way they really kept that team in it all year. What what do you make of this KC defense? Well, you talk about simulated pressures. We know Steve Spagnuolo, he does blitz, right? And then we saw what happened. Lamar Jackson, first half of that game last week against the blitz, he wasn't doing very well. But remember, they hadn't played in two weeks. They were just kind of whatever. It was like five of nine, 40 yards, something like that. But then the second half, uh, things got a lot better. (laughs) You don't blitz Lamar Jackson either. But simulated pressures are going to be a way to potentially confuse Lamar Jackson because getting it's not like his receivers are all world every single play. And the Chiefs have great corners. McDuffie, chef's kiss, great. Legereus Sneed, that man minted himself a lot of money this season. So I'm looking at the corner play and seeing how it will be impactful in this matchup. So to me, as unsexy as it sounds between like the Ravens and the Chiefs, I think the team that can more reliably run the football is the team that wins this game. Brock Purdy on the final drive, the game-winning drive for San Francisco, his efficiency on that possession compared to the rest of the game. Is there a number or two that you would say indicates just how much he turned it on when it mattered most and... No Debo Samuel, potentially. He missed practice again. How much does that impact the efficiency of their offense just in general? Well, you have to remember that this Packers defense, their corners are play. I mean, look, the Lions, I I love my Lions, but Cam Sutton is a liability. So when I'm looking at the efficiency Brock Purdy threw and the the play that they were, it's the ability for Kyle Shanahan to scheme his players open is absolutely incredible that's I mean it's a lot easier for Brock Purdy to be efficient when no one's more than three yards near someone yeah. right yeah I you know I could be more efficient if <laughs> if my you know if, the, if my radius is a lot bigger right so when you're looking at that 
I, I think Brock Purdy's as efficient as the space he he has. And they've been be able to create him for him a ton of space this season. So it's not to say he's not great and whatever. And he I, I'm I'm not a hater. I'm just saying that if a lot of quarterbacks had those weapons in that scheme, they would look pretty efficient too. And he's executing it. So that's great. But the Lions defense, they've given up the most 16 plus receptions in the regular season over a hundred no other team was over a hundred and cam sutton one-on-one i i absolutely know kyle shanahan's like hey you know um brandon uh you're gonna line up against that guy cam and you're just gonna come down with the ball like that's how it's gonna work and the lions last week you saw where they were vulnerable they they defended deep but they they had the most intermediate so 10 to 19 air yard passes they were worse that that was their worst game on intermediate passes so Okay, well, George Kittle then. You, uh, uh, pick your poison, right? It's it's going to be bad even without Debo Samuel. So the the Lions' ability to limit those big plays or at least limit points scored off those big plays is going to be massive. Well, what does Debo add to that? If it's already going to be tough even without him, we saw that 49ers offense without him for a big chunk of the game against the Packers. It wasn't great. So what does he bring to the table that really makes it even more difficult on that Lions' defense? I might not be popular for saying this, but Debo's off ball metrics, meaning when he's not the subject of the pass, make him probably even more valuable than Brandon Ayuk. I mean, this is like, oh, we're, de- we're debating one A and one B. It's not like a, a, a big drop off. But what Debo's able to do is take up a different space and run routes in a way that make defenders miss. It draws safeties. He's a tricky trickster, right? He figures out ways to draw safety in so then they can hit Brandon Ayuk one-on-one on man coverage here. If you play quarters, see ya. If you put like, it's like he can diagnose all of the coverages and be like, well, here's where the the hole in the zone's going to be, or here's where their man is weakest. I'll just go right there. You know, it's, it's like he, he understands the assignment almost better than anyone. And he helps make the other guys look so freaking good too. Like I, I think Debo it sounds it sounds crazy to say, but he could be like one of the more underrated wide receivers in our league because he doesn't come out of people's mouth when they say wide receiver one. You're like, oh, well, that's Justin Jefferson or that's, you know, Puka Nakua even for some people. Right. But Debo is so valuable and maybe even more valuable when he's not the subject of the past. What is Super Bowl in Vegas with the Detroit Lions playing in the game going to be like for you? Oh, your lips to whoever is the puppet master <laughs> deciding these things. Ears. Um, I would be afraid. Like we were joking that if it were would have been the Bills and the Lions that like all of the oh, furniture yeah. would have burned down. You know, like they, like people would have thrown the furniture out of their hotel rooms and it would have burned in the streets. But you know, Detroit fans they've been saving up for this one. You know, I I, I sincerely hope. They get a chance. We all get a chance. I'm one of them to experience what it's like on the biggest stage. Um, you know, Chiefs are the class of the AFC being in the sixth AFC championship game. Ravens are incredibly unstoppable looking. The Niners have been there five. I mean, it's it's like they're they are David and everyone else is Goliath. So it's a it's a it would be very special. And especially for a city that has been through so much. I mean, it was so wild. I actually stayed. I'm a GM baby. My dad worked for General Motors and I stayed at the Renaissance Center when we were there. There's a hotel there and staying in the building that my dad worked in. It kind of came all full circle and it was it was pretty special, especially because it's it's been a 
it's been a tough go for that city yeah. for sure. Cynthia Freeland, Infill Network analytics expert. Uh, on the way out, of these four teams remaining, are they towards the upper half of the NFL in the analytics department? Or are there some outliers yeah. here? Yeah, they, they are. I mean, the thing we need to learn, like because people now say on TV, the analytics say so much, right. it's kind of like the, there's this mouthpiece and I don't really know what that means anymore. But a lot of times it's like creating a strategy and using data to empower your strategy to be more effective. And all four of the teams that remain, I mean, the Ravens are probably the gold standard for analytics, even more so than the Browns. They're, they're so good at it that like, it's incredible. And the, the San Francisco 49ers, I mean, Kwesi, who's now the GM of the, of the Minnesota Vikings came from there because he was so good at analytics. So these are, they're, they're just the class of the, and, and even Detroit, like uh, we host the big data bowl and one of the big data bowl participants is very high up in analytics at the line. So every team has it. It's just these teams, they understand how to get it to work. It lockstep with the coach. Yeah, and I think with the younger hires that we're seeing, we're going to see more and more of it. We haven't seen it here much in Tennessee. They're about to have it uh, with the Titans. Oh, I, you're, you're going to see some – I think you're going to see some cool stuff. I think you're going to see, you know, from from what I know of Rand and what I know of Coach Callahan, it's, you're, going to see some, you're going to see some cool stuff. Good decision-making. Now, let me be clear. It might – next year – it might not look like oh, uh, the Texans hey. this year, but it, it, just give it a minute. Right. Just give it a minute. Uh, yeah, it took the Texans a while mm-hmm. to get back to One it. quick one, Cynthia. Will you be surprised if Mike Vrabel doesn't land a job in this coaching cycle? I will be. I'll be totally shocked. He's an awesome coach and a really good leader of men. So it's, you know, sometimes things don't work out. That's life. But I think there's, it. it we would be remiss if we, it, it'd be weird without him because He's so smart. And if he decides to take a year off or something, then we'll we'll see him. If not this year, we'll see him very soon. All right, where are we going to find you on Sunday? What's the schedule like? We've got a six-hour game day morning ahead of the games. It should be fun. We have some, like, ridiculous stuff planned. I love when we play game day, game night. I'm a terrible drawer, but we, <laughs> but we do often play stupid games. And obviously, we love our stupid games. Who's so. the best artist? <laughs> Um, not Michael Irvin, okay. uh, probably Gerald McCoy, actually. Okay. Gifted. <laughs> Gerald McCoy. Cynthia, always not great. Irv. Not Irv's Irv, no. terrible. Renaissance man. <laughs> That's right. Cynthia's always competing for best dress against Michael Irvin. Yeah. That's what she yeah. told he said, me. He and I always bar, lose. Huh? That man comes oh, out with that's... some wild stuff. <laughs> but you said before, it all makes Until sense. This it all, it all ties together. The look it all does. has to tie together every time. It's, it's in the details, right? It will be a winning week Absolutely. this week. Cynthia, thank Absolutely. you. Thank you so much. Cynthia Freeland, NFL Network. C. Freeland on social. You can find her there. Great follow. Um, and six-hour pregame, Chad. It's a lot. Yeah, that's... Uh, it's a lot of pregame. Six hours, CBS, big time uh, Super pregame. Bowl pregame. Uh, hold my beer. Yeah. Let's do it on the... Uh, uh, every week is like home. a Super Bowl pregame at NFL Network. It is. Uh, every week, Chad, each Wednesday, we air our top grievance of the week. It is time for Primary Complaint. It's time to air our top grievance of the week. You can complain all you want. My job is so unfulfilling. Don't run away from your feelings. It's time for Hot Mike's Primary Complaint. Guys, my primary complaint this week, the old and tired, overused, I'll refer to it as the the crutch diss. 
which is, and I think it's more of a, a conversation starter, but it's actually just a, you know, a jab at where we live here in Nashville, Music City. Uh, the example would be, hey, you guys need to learn how to commute in the ice and the snow. Uh, I'm curious where Chad and Davey will take this to later, but... I'll shut someone down with this in the studio the other day that said this. My, I guess you did. Uh, my response is every single time uh, the same answer of, well, we don't have the same inventory of all these trucks and uh, the plows, the salt. There's no money spent on that because, quite frankly, what we had here last week happens about once every three to four years to that extent. Um, and if it happens next year, I'll have the same answer. So stop asking or saying. That's my primary complaint. Yeah, I don't go to your town and tell you you need to learn how to fry food better every time we go up there. That's so don't, don't yeah. come to mine and talk about you guys don't know how to drive down here. I, uh, I also would add the criticizing the Southerners. If, if you're a Northerner, it's, it's odd. It's like winning a national championship up there. It, it rarely well, happens. Three, <laughs> yeah, well, three of the last 25 national championships have happened north of the Mason-Dixon line. Everything else below. So. <laughs> I'm cool with, cri- with criticism. Just say something different. No, but their response about we don't care about you. That's a little say something different. College football doesn't matter to us, but what, whatever. Um, and nobody can drive that well on ice. Like If you hit a patch of ice... If you're on an ice skating rink, it's, well, it's, it's, even it's drive, hard it's just to commute. They, they don't it's even hard factor. to figure out what to do when you're on a huge hill with ice when it takes over. I I don't. I've yet to meet the person from North Dakota who perfectly navigates well, ice every time they hit ice. Well, even those like uh, and I'm there are some from out of state here at studio. I'm not referring to you guys, uh, but some here. No, in these the, guys were all staying in hotels. They get it. But but it's like oh. They it, know. Where if, if this were up where I'm from, this would be above. I'm thinking, yeah, but you're not up where you're from. Yeah. Like, and if it happens again, it will be the same result where you also struggled to commute to get here to work. And my response every time is, there's a reason you're not where you're from. <laughs> Just keep that in mind. Every time someone complains about Go where on. you are, remember, there's a reason you're here and not there. Um, there's a reason that I'm here right now in, in downtown Nashville. Mother and father. Very close to East Nashville. <laughs> And um, East Nashville, for those that don't know, a bit of a hipster area, right? Very Every major city has these neighborhoods. It's very trendy, very hipster-like. Um, I'm eating dinner there last night, and I'm at a very trendy place. It's a Mediterranean place. That's hipster. Open kitchen. <laughs> very, very trendy. Uh, there with an, another couple. We get like the appetizer. It's not like a you know. It's not like the triple dipper from Chili's or anything, but an appetizer combo where they bring out different small plates, one after the wow. other, and you sample them. And you know, it, it, it's really great. What's not great though is when you're in a place that you get a waiter that doesn't understand how audio works and how background noise works. You see, when you're in a loud venue and, and you talk at a seven foot distance from people, and, and, you, and you talk like this. So our special tonight are the bacon covered dates. I mean, everyone at the table had to lean in and listen to this person's every word. At one point, I had to ask him to speak up because no one could understand a word he was saying. I had to ask repeatedly, what are you putting down in front of us now? What is this again? Look, I get that not everyone is a presenter of like me, okay? I understand. You can't be loud, authoritative, an alpha like myself. There's many betas in the world. But if you're going to take a job, as the server at a hipster joint where you got to do a lot of explaining about the menu, you have to be able to raise your voice to a level that can drown out whatever EDM music is playing in yeah. that place at that time. And if you can't do that, you're not going to be able to do your job well. This is my primary complaint. Was this Cobra? Where you... Oh, co- <laughs> no, they speak very loud in Cobra. There's no problems here in them in, in Cobra. 
Okay. I, f- I feel like asking for an alpha at a hipster restaurant is just going to be incredibly difficult to find. I mean, I get it. Like it's a, it, and this was a guy of a generation that I have found just speaks more quietly than I speak. And maybe I speak loud and frighten people, but I don't care. Because if I'm in a place that's loud, I need you to hear me. So the last thing I want to do is talk so low that no one can understand me. Yeah. No one, it was not just Library. my old ears. Everyone at the table, no one could understand a word this guy was saying Bad at any me. point. And I think he was even making jokes in conversation. He probably had some witty quips in there hilarious. that no one heard. Guys, my primary complaint, I was recently at a wedding. And before the wedding, we had a rehearsal dinner. And the best man gave a speech. And during this speech, I'm also having to wait. The speech is happening before we're able to get food. But he says, I'm almost done. So whenever you hear, I'm almost done, you're thinking, great, that means I'm closer to getting my dinner. But then he proceeds to continue the speech for another five more minutes. You, that, that's just not allowed. You cannot say I'm about done and then continue on for five more minutes. You have a 60-second period to wrap up after you say I am almost finished, and that is where we draw the line. You don't get to go on for five more minutes. I'll also say at this wedding, I was, uh, I, I guess, backup officiant, and um, a thing happened. What where, a role to have at a wedding. I know. Backup officiant. Uh, <laughs> it, it was a lovely wedding. I had a great time. I will say the officiant forgot the vows. Like, he lost them. And then, and then uh, just on a whim, just said, we'll just make them up as we go. That wow, was a direct quote. Bold. That was a direct quote. Like and they that. still didn't so. go to the backup version, the, the option. They still didn't call in from the bullpen. There's a great... I, uh, I was thinking it's like... Wow. There's man, a great Nick Bargatze bit about a wedding in Kentucky he attended that I feel like this may have happened, where the officiant just decided to make up the vows. Davey, you've hit on something here that's that's brilliant, and I notice all the time. Usually it happens during an award cer- ceremony, an acceptance speech. When you hear the guy that's you know giving the long speech and says, I promise, or tell me to wrap up, but just one more thing, I'm almost done. And then they go to to my wife and looks down, I'm thinking, here we go. We got another three minutes. Nope. This will not be to a 30-second sign. Second I thought about just getting just, music to play on my phone. It's like, all right, there's your cue. But also, well, uh, That'd be see, a funny I, bit I if everyone kind. thanked Jada Pinkett Smith everyone. instead of their <laughs> yeah. wife when they won <laughs> an Oscar this year. Please don't play me out yet. I, ha- I still haven't uh, addressed Jada Pinkett Smith. To Jada, I want, I've got a few words for you. The, the uh, example I would have is a preacher or a pastor. Mm. Yeah. You know, they're, they're trying to get your attention at the very end, saying they're almost done, you're going to have lunch soon, and then, you know, it's... About the same amount. I'll give Southern I, what, Baptist so preachers a, a hand when, on that one. They usually they, they've when, learned real uh, quick on that. When someone says "I'm almost done" while giving the speech, what is the timetable that makes it too long? When do you actually go uh, over, over your a line? minute? Over yeah. a minute. Over a minute. You got to. Well, be, depends you how long the thirty speech. seconds to a minute. It depends how long the the speech has been going. That's fair. If you're almost done and you well, are the latest, you're five uh, minutes in, I would say you have two minutes left. The latest Chappelle special, he, he says, I've got one more story for you to wrap up, and then it's, it's going to be over. But he does say it's a long story, though, and it's 19 minutes <laughs> yeah, to but, get to the whole point of it. I think he's, he speaks for 19 minutes. That's a that good point. way to phrase it then yeah. because he's not almost done. He just has one more story. Yeah. I think 30 seconds to a minute is a good time to wrap it up. I'm bad about it in church. I'll look at the title of the sermon and I'm immediately looking back because they have the monitor that shows the minute count oh, on, the, yeah. on, the, on the pastor as he's going. And I'm just like, also in East Nashville. I'll, I'll, I, just mentally, I'm, I'm, I'm sometimes, you know, I'm trying to pay attention, but I'm like, this will be a 17 minute sermon. This will be a 14 minute one. This will be 21 minutes. And I'm going back to gauge, like, how long has he gone already? And it's a mental game I play to see if I can guess the minute hey. that he's on each time when I look back at the monitor. 
play that game sometime. Can we it's put fun. the? Uh, I, I'm almost done here. Uh, clock on the negotiation with Jim Harbaugh and the Chargers. Uh, according to one of the reporters uh, in Los Angeles, he is in the building. He's in the building. How, how to make our, it to Atlanta lives. for that interview? No, we, he put that on hold. Yeah, we can right. discuss tomorrow. But how long does this have to go before you think the deal is going to fall through? I don't think it's going to. Uh, tomorrow. I mean, if by the time we're on air tomorrow, it's not, we don't get more news, I think it's falling through. No, I don't think it's falling through if he's there. I think they're trying to make sure that they have their general manager hired and they'll announce both at the same time. Is he just sleeping in the facility at this point? I don't just think, hanging out there. Hey, you guys got a couch? He was in Michigan yesterday, was he not? And he's in LA today. That's what this reporter's saying. I don't know. This is getting dumb, though. Just make the decision. Yeah. Both if, sides. Can everyone Michigan just go ahead and name? Sharon Moore, the head coach. That'd be an alpha move right there. They release a statement. We're almost done here. We're almost done. We wrap it up. Back at it tomorrow, 4 o'clock Eastern. And we don't lie to you. We were actually done when we said so.